Hi, I'm Trevor. And I'm Laura. We're married, and we like to do a lot of different things together. But what got us together initially was that we love to eat and we like to drink. And we love to learn how our favorite foods and beverages came to be. In each episode of this podcast, we'll talk about something delicious and answer the question, Where did this come from? So you had a big day yesterday. I did have a big day. I got a haircut, everyone. Laura got a haircut. <laughs> Not one of those crappy home haircuts that I give. <laughs> yeah. It was a real haircut done real by a stylist. Haircut. And it looks really good. It looks really good. It looks fantastic. Yeah, my hair feels... She basically cut off like three inches of dead split ends and stuff. Nice. Yeah, it was good. Although, so one thing that I noticed is I feel like my social skills are really rusty. So, so I was <laughs> Did like, something happen? No, nothing like in particular happened, but I just realized like I haven't talked to anyone in person that's like for an extended period of time anyway, that's not yeah. you or, or like, family. like family or like the few Select, friends yeah. that we've seen. Um, so like out in the world interacting with, with strangers. So your, your social graces are a little <laughs> My rusty? My social graces are definitely rusty. It was, um, it wasn't like super awkward, but I was just like, wow, I'm, I'm out of practice at this, at talking to humans. <laughs> Understandable these days. I mean, it's been seven months, seven, seven months. plus months at this point yeah. of, of safety lockdown for COVID. Yeah. And I mean, you and I have been pretty strict um, and extra cautious, uh, which is good. But, um, you know, we really haven't ventured out much. It's true. Like at all. Um, It's true. Well, where there would be other people to actually interact with. Right. Yeah. We've gone outside and like hiking and we've seen like some family and a few friends. um, But like interacting with strangers (laughs) for extended periods of time. Um, it's just not something I've done in a long time. So it's like, what do people talk about? <laughs> well, you're the first one of us to do it. So I'll have to ask you for yeah. partners when. Yes. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll see. But anyway, it was kind of an adventure. My hair feels much healthier. It was very necessary. And I cut off enough where I can probably go another year without having hair cut. <laughs> yes. Good thinking. It looks lovely. It looks Thank lovely. You. For all Thank of you, you out there who can't see her, it's just a wonderful, wonderful haircut. <laughs> On that note, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Where Did This Come From, the podcast where we talk about all things delicious and dive into their uh, their origin stories and their histories. Uh, I'm Trevor. And I'm Laura. And today is a very special Halloween episode. Ooh. Now, Halloween's not until Saturday, of course, uh, today being Monday. But we figured we might as well kind of dive into a Halloween-themed episode being somewhat close to it. Better to do it before than after the holiday. Uh, and I'm really, I'm not going to say excited. <laughs> if you listen to the last episode. You're thrilled. I'm thrilled. Uh, I'm and really jazzed up to be talking about today's special Halloween topic. And it's maybe one of the most romanticized, mysterious, and supposedly dangerous spirits out there. Ooh. So just in time for Halloween, we are talking about absinthe. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, absinthe, absinthe, the green fairy. 
Yes. If you will. So I my like first um association with absinthe is like the scary booze that you know you drink too much and you go blind and mm-hmm. you know it's yeah. sort of this um notorious spirit that um yeah we both you know, we gets both, a bad rap yeah. i guess well we both ran and run in slightly more artistic circles based on our backgrounds as a musician and you as a painter so absinthe is no stranger like we've heard absinthe stories both of us for for years and years and years so yeah so tell us about absinthe so absinthe where do we start oxford dictionary is where we're going to start <laughs> uh in case someone out there doesn't you do know like it. to start ears with dictionaries i like to be really literal yeah. sometimes sometimes i don't know who's who knows uh who, who knows, knows what who knows what and that's yeah. the point of the show so the oxford dictionary says that absinthe is a potent green aniseed flavored alcoholic spirit made with the shrub wormwood Oh. So anise-flavored liqueur, green, yep. that is based with the wormwood shrub, which okay. is kind of like a ferny, bushy, right. green shrub. You like something kind of botanical. and Exactly. Exactly. So there's – I want to start by saying this. There is a lot of differing details. Of course. As you can imagine in the story, uh, especially in the early days of absinthe. And I'm going to be telling the story based on the details I chose from varying resources. So haters going to hate. Yeah. Go ahead. You it's... might find a conflicting account somewhere out there, yes. but... I found several in researching this episode, yeah. um, which kind of, I think it's it's fitting. It makes sense that such a mysterious beverage would have a really cloudy story attached to it, mm-hmm. um, but also fitting, considering it's fitting, fitting, considering its reputation throughout right. history. And it isn't actually, it's a cloudy, it's actually a cloudy liqueur, isn't it? It's actually not cloudy oh, okay. in the bottle, but we're going to, oh. I'm going to touch on that a little bit, actually. Okay. All right. Um, but before that, the history of wormwood infused liquor extends all the way back to ancient Egypt. Who knew it? The Egyptian <laughs> Empire. Seriously, dead serious. Um, now accounts in ancient texts date as far back as 1500 BC in Egypt. 1500 BC, and they mention wormwood's medicinal as well as religious significance at that time. Uh, and there was even a drink that was fortified at that time with the extract of wormwood. So the use of wormwood goes back yeah. millennia, basically. Now, for modern modern absinthe, the credit for what we now know as this most infamous beverage mm-hmm. uh, goes to a Dr. Pierre Ordinaire, which I always thought was really funny that Dr. Ordinaire was the one who created this like extraordinary <laughs> spirit out there. Now, he was trying to break the mold. He was trying to break the mold, definitely. Uh, and he definitely did, I will say. So according to history or legend, not sure which it is, hopefully a little bit of both, absinthe was developed by Dr. Ordinaire, and he was a French doctor who was in self-exile due to political reasons. Mm. Now, he was exiling in the Swiss town of Cuvée. Okay. Couldn't figure out why, what the political situation was there, um, but he was exiled. He exiled himself to Swiss, uh, Switzerland, to Switzerland. Uh, and it was said that he discovered the plant wormwood in his travels around as a doctor. Now, he didn't discover the plant, but he discovered it himself. Right. I gotcha. Uh, he mixed wormwood with other herbs and with alcohol to create his first 136-proof elixir, Ooh. which for anyone who knows liquor math, that is 68% alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and to give like a reference point, like what's vodka usually? 40% alcohol. Right. So it's like... Bam, real strong. Yeah, most stuff you're going to get at bars and restaurants will be, for the most part, 40% alcohol because 
40% alcohol to 5% beer to I think 12% wine, you can measure them all in the same way in slightly different ounces. It'll take your body roughly an hour to work that alcohol off. So okay. you can do like server math and make sure you're serving people um, safely. Safely, exactly. Yeah. But not with absinthe. It's a whole <laughs> different world there. Uh, so his he used this elixir in his treatment of the sick. Uh, and Wait, after, when was this? What year was this? This was in 18, late 1700s, early 1800s. Okay, gotcha. So, so we, we fast forwarded. This was actually probably more in like the 1780s, 1790s. Yeah, sorry if I didn't say that. And he was using it, again, in treatment of his patients of the sick. And after many claims of the miraculous healing powers of this, unsur- non-surprising, uh, it became a cure-all. For yeah. everything from flatulence hmm. to anemia. Hmm. Which I'm sure it wasn't nearly curing anemia, to be honest right. with you, but people felt real good <laughs> drinking <laughs> yeah. the absinthe. Now, the wormwood itself is where absinthe gets its name. Uh, and you're like, wormwood absinthe, I don't get it. But the Latin name for the plant is actually Artemisia absinthium mm. for wormwood. So he took the, the Latin root, right. which he, as a doctor, or a, yeah, it makes sense. would have known or would have been able to find anyway. Right. Now, legend has it that Dr. Pierre Ordinaire passed down his absinthe recipe literally on his deathbed, which I'm sure there is probably some buffer there, but for the story, right. it, again, it makes sense. Yeah. Absinthe. It was the his last words were his <laughs> passing he on of the recipe. He it down with the last motion of his hand. Uh, and supposedly, this is how French distiller and businessman Abram Louis Perrineau got the recipe while he was actually living in the Swiss town of Cuvée. And he brought that back to France to capitalize on it because he saw what it was doing. He saw how people were reacting to it. And now he had the recipe. And so, it was still at this point was just medicinal. Just medicinal. Yeah. But I it was mean, given like for everything. Like, oh, you have a headache. Have some absinthe. You have a headache? Have some absinthe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was kind of like, um, again, elixir was a term that was used for a long right. time. I mean, Coca-Cola. Yeah. Right? I mean, Coke literally had cocaine well, I think in the it, so. history of most drugs um like yeah. like opiates and stuff was started oh, yeah. as like oh this makes everyone feel good yes it does let's give it to everybody yes yes um, um so he brought it back to france to start making it because a he saw how popular it was um the effect it was having on people and because france had a lower tax rate than switzerland mm. at the time so really really savvy and by 1805, he had opened his own distillery in Pontarlier, France, with his son Henri, and they changed the label to a much easier to pronounce and spell version of their name, which became Pernod. Oh. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Which, no for those Pernod. of you out there who don't know, this became the history of the Pernod Ricard company that we know today. So which you've probably seen the logo for. You have, yeah. So Pernod uh, is, a, you can actually get Pernod. It's, it's essentially absinthe i mean it's a pastis but yeah i thought pernod well they make a lot of thinking of like it was almost like a liqueur yes yes um, technically absinthe is a liqueur right yeah that's true it's just really i don't know i think of liqueur as lower alcohol content they generally are um liqueurs and cordials kind of fall under the same category i think of cordials as being sweeter and liqueurs i mean they're both kind of they could both be sweet really it's anything any kind of liquor that is infused with um, fruit, sugar, or spices. Yeah. Really is a liqueur. Um, Now, Pernod Ricard, take a pause in the chronology here, uh, it's literally one of, if not the biggest spirit brand portfolios in the world. Um, 
and that's in 2018, their their global revenue was nine billion euro Whoa. or 10.5 billion US dollars, and that was Ow. in 2018. Yeah. Uh, and this huge corporation started as a little tiny absinthe distillery wow. in 1805. Unpause. So for about <laughs> 40 years in the early 1800s. Absinthe was really gaining in popularity across France and a lot of Europe as well, a lot of Western Europe. But it really wasn't at its height yet. Yeah. It was still kind of like a word of mouth thing. And absinthe's progress from medicine to what would kind of later down the line become like a social poison, according to a lot of people, actually started with the military. Oh, interesting. Which is similar to opiates as well. Yeah. It's said that the demand for absinthe rose like wildly after the Algerian War, which happened, as we all know, between (laughs) 1844 and 1847. And when the soldiers were, they were given rations of absinthe along with their drinking water as a deterrent to malaria and other bacterial infections. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess like consuming that would kill a lot of Pretty much kill everything. Inside you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But soldiers came back, clearly hooked on absinthe. Because uh, it was in their rations, so they were probably drinking it every single day. And they began drinking it in peacetime in France. And that kind of started the first surge in absinthe popularity. So this is in the mid-1800s, 1847, 1850-ish. Okay. And absinthe maintained its popularity for the next 20 years or so at that level. Yeah. Until about 18... It's like kind of a basic... Yeah. It's like a, it's this, this gradual stepwise level of popularity mm-hmm. until 1870. And we talked about this in our Burgundy episode, if you remember back... But starting in 1870, um, the phylloxera epidemic, the blight, if you will, right. um, swept, the, swept through Europe. Yeah. And Which if, hit the, the vines, basically, the all vi- the vines. All the vines, yeah. So as a refresh, phylloxera is a little kind of like aphid-like insect that attacks uh, the roots of grapevines and the leaves as well. Yeah. And like destroys. Destroys them. Kills destroys them. them. Kills them. Um, and it attacked the rootstock of vineyards all over France and Europe. And this is, again, something we're going to touch on probably a lot in future episodes because it's one of those landmark moments in time that really affected a lot of different things outside of just wine. Um, And you'll see why through some of this too. But the epidemic devastated pretty much most of the European wine growing industry. And within 25 years, phylloxera had destroyed two thirds of all vineyards in Europe. So tragic. Insane. I mean, again, thankfully, strangely enough, the American wine industry saved the European wine industry. Listen to the Burgundy episode. If you haven't listened to it, we go into much more detail there. Yeah. But during this time, the prices of wines naturally just skyrocketed. Right. Yeah, because they were getting such a fraction of the bottles out of the same vines. The demand was even more crazy because people couldn't get their hands on wine. And of course, the supply is low, supply demand. You know how that works. So wine became super scarce, super expensive. And the aristocrats... Um, bought and consumed really what wine was available on the market. Yep. Now, the middle class, the rest of us, the 99%, <laughs> uh, began looking for a cheaper alternative to wine. And absinthe, since it was already growing in popularity, became that really ideal, perfect alternative to mm. wine because it was just readily available. Yeah. Well, it's really fascinating that it all kind of ties together. <laughs> it does. No, yeah. it does. It keeps going, too. Yeah. Like, there's more to this, too. Wait, wait. There's more. Which is good, because otherwise, and that's a wrap on the episode, everybody. (laughs) No. um, So this is where we start to really get into the height of absinthe popularity in the world. Yeah, people needed their alcohol. They needed their alcohol. In some form or another. Absolutely. 
Uh, and this is where we start to get into the world of artists and bohemians mm. of the time, where we start to hear a lot of these stories. So from the 1880s uh, to the turn of the century, turn of the 20th century, drinking absinthe during cocktail hour in France became so popular that people began calling it the green hour or le vert, mm. which I'm sure I butchered that, but the green hour in yeah. French. Uh, and because, of course, the, the liquor's bright green color right. to it. Now, generally, from 5 to 7 p.m., the cafes in Paris would be, like, shoulder to shoulder crowded with people just drinking absinthe. Yeah. Was it just absinthe straight, or it was, like, mixed into cocktails? Well, we're going to – actually, that's that's up next, actually. So this was a wide mix of society drinking it. Um, So laborers, policemen, bankers, artists, everyone was enjoying the absinthe ritual. That goes into how you prepare and drink absinthe. Right. And I think probably one of the main reasons – one of the reasons, anyway, that the artistic world fell in love with it was because of this. So traditionally, you don't drink absinthe straight. I mean, you can. Right. But if we're talking harsh. about something that's usually yeah. 55 to 75% alcohol. Um, so it's really quite strong and bitter on its own. It's, right. hard, to, it's hard to take. Tried it. It's very, it's very strong. Um, so first things first is you want to pour it into a proper absinthe glass. There's a whole world of absinthe paraphernalia. Mm, but you're going to pour your absinthe into an absinthe glass, which for an auditory medium, I'm going to try to describe this for you. <laughs> uh, it looks like a cross kind of between a port glass and a small wine glass, okay. but much more angular. Okay. Almost like a little glass goblet, if you will. Right. So, so like a teeny tiny martini glass? Not as like... Y-shaped. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's a little. It's a little boxy. <laughs> yeah. So you get the absinthe in the glass, and then you're going to put the absinthe spoon on top of the glass. Now the absinthe spoon is literally made just for absinthe serving. Um, so it's tiny to fit on the glass. It, or... It's bigger than the glass. Okay. Um, so it's almost like a. <laughs> this is hard to do with words. Everyone, look it up. Look. <laughs> I mean, look it up yeah. while we're describing it. But it's a highly decorative slotted spoon. Basically, it looks okay. like a, a metal spatula, a little mini tiny metal spatula, yeah. um, which is flat, has a notch on the handle, so that it sits like right on the edge of the glass. It like clips, almost clips onto the edge of the glass to hold okay. it in place. Um, and then you place a sugar cube on top of the slotted spoon, right on top of the grates. And next comes the water. So you could pour the water really slowly over the sugar cube out of a carafe and into the glass, but where's the pageantry in that? (laughs) Um, So over time, uh, slow drip water fountains were actually um, developed. So you would place these kind of tall, slow drip water fountains in the middle of a table, and there would be four to six miniature spigots on the outside of this thing at the Mm -hmm. bottom. Okay. And you would place your glass under the the little spigot, and then you would turn it on. And it would be like a very slow drip or stream of water that would drip directly onto the sugar cube, slowly dissolving it into the glass below. Okay. And then when the sugar cube is fully dissolved, uh, you tip the rest of the sugar in and you mix everything together with that slotted spoon in the glass. So you got a teeny bit of water and your sugar mixed in together. Exactly. Which essentially you're making a cocktail. It's like a little cocktail. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And now adding that water into the emerald green absinthe, Gives it that really pale, cloudy okay. quality yeah. to it. I thought I had an association. Associ- I had an association with it. Association. <laughs> Literally, cloudy. not a drop of alcohol. <laughs> I have not drank today. We are not drinking absinthe and recording yeah. about absinthe. No. That comes later. 
Yeah. <laughs> but adding the water again makes it that pale, cloudy color. And this is a phenomenon that's actually known as the Loesch effect, Loesch effect, mm. or Ouzo effect. Uh, so generally it's seen in liqueurs that contain anise. So absinthe, ouzo, which mm-hmm. is the Greek, um, sambuca, rocky from Turkey and other countries, and pastis, also yeah. from France. Yeah, I love all of those. So, yeah, same. I mean, we love licorice. I do. We're the only people under the age of 70 who love eating good and plenty. So, <laughs> which means there's always plenty at the store for us. There is. Literally no pun intended. <laughs> um, now, there's a lot of science that goes into the ouzo effect, but to spare you all from that, to spare Laura from that. Uh, essentially, it's an oil and water emulsion that takes effect in these liqueurs and causes them to go from clear to cloudy. Once water is instantly. added. Once water is added, yeah. All right, enough about the Uzo effect. It's really cool. Get, and if you don't like licorice or anise, I get it. Yeah. But if you are if you do, get an anise liqueur. When we say licorice, we mean black licorice. Yes, yes. None of these things are like flavored Twizzlers. like Twizzlers aren't. <laughs> Anyway, uh, get, get like, some one of these liquors, Sambuca, um, Rocky, Absinthe, anything like that, and add just a little bit of water to it, and it will instantly go cloudy. It's really actually yeah, a lot of fun. Cool. All right, enough of that. Okay. Getting back to the 1880s, uh, Absinthe became the, the beverage of the day for artists, writers, and poets in Europe. It was also known as the drink of the Bohemians. Now, artists, Bohemians, sometimes there's a, there's, a, there's a blurry line there. But Bohemians were self-impoverished artists, writers, musicians, free thinkers, and kind of counterculture types, if you will. Yeah. They were literally the hippies of the day. Right, right. So people like Manet, uh, Toulouse-Lautrec, uh, Degas, and of course, Vincent van Gogh, all associated with absinthe at this time. Yeah. And the Green Fairy, as absinthe became known for purportedly causing hallucinations, uh, is thought to have encouraged Van Gogh to actually cut off part of his left ear, that whole story. It's mm. reportedly that's because he was hallucinating on absinthe at the time. Oh. Yeah, I thought he was like, I might be misremembering, but he was like in a fit of rage and had like a razor blade or something. He often out. was in a fit of rage from right. what I can tell. Yeah, um, I mean, he had a lot of... Um, mental illness and, and it's also where it's thought that van gogh was actually also possibly epileptic mm. on top of all this too because he would have these fits they would call them or uh, episodes if you will right and it kind of the way it was written about sounded like he was actually having like epileptic seizures yeah combine that with probably clinical heavy clinical depression the fact that he was a full-on alcoholic right drinking absinthe yeah trying to like all day yeah it's actually quite a tragic story eating his paints yeah, which, which you're a painter. Poison. Yeah, so it's a sad story, mainly because he was he was so misunderstood and dep- depressed. Like if he was in a time period where he could have gotten the help he actually needed, uh, I mean, granted he did check himself into an asylum, but that's a very different type right. of. Yeah, I mean the treatment back then. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's probably quite questionable. Yeah, you know, we talked a little bit about this in a previous episode, but like it's let's normalize mental mental health issues like it's yeah if you if you're having anything like this anything like we're describing like there is a whole world of people out there who care about you and want to get you the help you need so don't yes yeah don't and especially in this you know isolated time i think we're all feeling a little bit depressed yeah and... i mean michelle obama even came out and was talking about it yeah oh my gosh that totally resonated with me it's just that we're in such a weird time um 
and everyone's kind of dealing with, you know, the layer of like COVID anxiety. And then there's the layer of political anxiety, political anxiety. And then there's the layer of, you know, racial injustice, anxiety, and, you know, we're questioning, you know, (laughs) what, what is the world coming to? Um, And so like all that stuff on top of, you know, oh my gosh, like is, you know, are we going to have jobs if this continues on and, you know, people with kids are trying to juggle, you know, working full time, doing school full time, you know, there's, it's just a lot going on. So, um, yes, hang in there, everyone. You're doing a great job. You're doing fantastic. We're, we're having a hard time too. Yeah. But there's people out there who care about you and people are willing to help. So please, please, please raise your hand. Yeah. Well, you know, call someone and, you know, if you're having a good day, like, go make someone else's day. Like, send someone a nice email or a text or, you know, tell a coworker you think they did a great job on something. Um, Because sometimes those little interactions can make someone's day. And that's a cool thing to do. It really is. It really, really is. Um, Okay. Well, that was a good sidebar. (laughs) It was a good sidebar. (laughs) Anyway, yes. So Van Gogh's whole situation is... But Van Gogh's ear got cut off. Anyway. It's quite tragic. No, it is. It is. Um, It really is. And you know what's also sad? You mentioned like being artists. Um, Being an artist and like putting your art out there, no matter what it is, if it's writing, if it's painting, if it's music. This podcast. This podcast, yes. You know, that was... was it was a level of anxiety before we released the first episode. Yeah, I mean a little bit. Yeah. Well, for but me it there's was always anyway, like, so. you know, you're you're always going to get a little bit of rejection no matter what your art is, you know, not everyone is going to like it. And that's really hard when you feel like you've put so much into it. It's like this extension of yourself yeah. that you're putting out in the world uh, to be critiqued and, you know, if you're in a delicate mental state or you know a delicate situation in your life that's can be really challenging um it's true to take that feedback or and keep going you know because i think a lot of people like shut down shut down a little bit so it's very easy i mean i'll do it from time to time to be honest with you like it's it's very easy to to just kind of curl up into a ball emotionally and block it out and quit if you will but don't do that. Keep forging ahead, artists. We need you this we, time well, more than it's ever. So we need true. Artists. I mean, the things that have gotten us through, uh, at least to this point, seven months in, um, are the arts. I mean, we're both reading more. We're listening to a ton of music. We're listening mm-hmm. to podcasts. We're making this podcast. You know, I've been trying to paint a little bit. We've been trying to play piano. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been obviously watching a lot of television. <laughs> Let's There's, be real we're making, there. We're making time for but that. But that's too. art too. <laughs> you know, all the writers and actors and all the work that goes into you know creating shows that are bringing us happiness right now. Right. Like these are the times that we really focus on the on the arts. So it's so true. Um, speaking of the arts. Speaking of the arts. Sorry, that was another no, great no, no, sidebar. No. no, that was that was good. That was good. Now, all of these Impressionist artists, Bohemians, they they thought absinthe stimulated creativity, which is no surprise because they yeah. were... I mean, I can see that. They were wrecked most of the time drinking absinthe. Uh, and it was believed to raise the drinker's consciousness, insights, and emotional experience to another level. Hmm. So basically, they're describing alcohol. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Or a drug. Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, and it seemed that everyone indulged themselves really enthusiastically, and so much so that alcoholism really began to be a serious problem in France yeah. at this time. Because Among the Bohemians or among everybody? Really, most of the people don't have a ton of money, which means they're not getting wine at this time still. Right, wine so they're is drinking scarce. really They're drinking the really hard, hard stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah. And this gets us up to the notorious absinthe murders of 1905. Mm. So I'm not going to go into great detail on the actual murders themselves because I'm going to have to give a trigger warning here. Um, but it is Halloween, so I want to have a little bit of spooky story here. And this is part of the trajectory of, of absinthe. Yeah. So this is when Jean Lefray, uh, he was a French laborer, um, spent the majority of his day on this day in 1905 drinking himself into a blackout. Yeah. And worked as well. So he was... I he mean, worked at a vineyard, actually. Oh. Um, he was a field worker at a vineyard. Yeah. Sadly, this binge uh, led to the murder of his pregnant wife and two children. Oh, gosh. Yes. Horrible. Terrible. Terrible, terrible. Uh, and investigators found that Lunfrey, um had only taken two drinks of absinthe, in digging into this, two drinks of absinthe in the oh. whole day, which is a small percentage of what he actually drank. But... That's what stood out. Despite the fact, yeah. the temperance and winemaking interests, because wine was on the, on the, on the rebound. Mm. Um, basically, lobbyists jumped on yeah. this. Gosh. Yes. Uh, and it turned Lanfrey's crime into a huge scandal, which, right. I mean, it was a big deal. Right. It's a big deal, but they also tried to capitalize on it. Exactly. Um, which is terrible. Yeah, it is. So they but placed... also, like, happens literally all the time. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Still to this day. Yeah. Still to this day. Um, you look at the the uh, marijuana propaganda of the 1930s. Like right. it's a similar story to that too. Right. So this the whole of you know that part of society, I should say, placed the full brunt of the blame on what they called quote unquote the green curse. Mm. The charges stuck, and absinthe lost out in the court of public opinion. Just started tanking as far as like people's right. thoughts. Yeah, on they're it. like, oh, if you drink this, you're gonna murder exactly. your family. Ugh. Now, it would be another 10 years before France officially outlawed absinthe. Um, but after the Lanfray scandal, the reputation of the drink like suck, just sunk. Yeah. Super, super low. In fact, the following year, 1906, um, Belgium outlawed absinthe entirely. Oh. A complete ban on absinthe in the whole country. Wow. And though the first case of absinthe being officially outlawed by a national government came as early as 1898, before this, the early 1900s saw a wave of absinthe bans throughout the world in response to the uh, the claims that made um, the green fairy yeah. evil, if you will. Yeah. Wow. So news of this spread to the U.S. as well. Um, so absinthe was being enjoyed in the States. It was being imported into the country. Yeah. And this is one of the many stories that helped push the propaganda around prohibition mm. and how it eventually became federal law in the U.S. for far too long. This was not the reason why U.S. the right. full of the U.S. went into prohibition, but yeah. it is one of the stories that yeah. helped drive the uh, the prohibitionist right. movement forward. Well, yeah, it's like you they always need a cover story. <laughs> you always need a cover story. Now the bans had the reverse effect over time, as you'd expect, right? Right, because they came taboo and exactly anything taboo. Again, you couldn't have this, right? Human nature. Yeah. I want what that. What is that? So, so. I want it because I can't be have like it. That must be like a psychological. There's got to be a, an actual term. There's got to be a term for yeah. that. But wanting what you can't have. That's someone else's podcast. We'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll get back to you if we hear it somewhere else. Yeah, the, the it kind of 
had the reverse effect and kind of dug the reputation of absinthe kind of back out of the gutter, if you will. Mm. Uh, and legend and speculation about it grew over time. It right, became, became crazy, mysterious. Uh, about the hallucinatory calming effects of... So um, were people actually hallucinating on it or was it because they were so drunk they thought they were hallucinating? So the levels of... Uh, it's the chemical compound is called um, thujone. Thujone from Wormwood um, okay. is the psychoactive chemical in absinthe. Uh, okay. But the levels of it in the alcohol are so low right. that you would have to consume so much. Like, so you would have to consume so much absinthe, you wouldn't even be able to stand because of the alcohol in it. Right. Yeah, you would have like alcohol poisoning yeah. so, before you'd hallucinate. Yeah, there's a, couple of, there's a couple of angles here. So it's mostly because it's super boozy. Like it's really high alcohol content in absence. So people were probably just, really for lack of a better term, shit-faced. They yeah. were like plastered. The other thing is that these absence of the 1800s, this was made at a time when there really wasn't a ton of regulation going into the things you made. Like mm. today you have to have an ingredients label on things and nutritional facts and things like that. This wasn't a concept then. Right. So it is potentially... There could have been some labels out there who were putting in a higher percentage of wormwood mm, and the yeah. which the thujone would have come from, but so most likely they were just but unlikely. Yeah, most yeah. likely they were just drinking a really high uh, ABV liquor, right? And were getting hooked on it, yeah, and getting super super drunk. Yeah. So the modern revival of absinthe is really a direct result from this mythic status, if you mm. will. Yeah. So that is how we got to today. Yeah. Was absinthe. I mean, not much has changed with absinthe since 2007-ish. I think the 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 pretty much global ban on it was lifted gradually over time. Yeah. But I think in the states, mid aughts, mid to late aughts, like early teens, is when you start getting it either made in the states or imported back into the country again. Wait, when? Mid the mid. Mid-2000s, mid-aughts, they I've call them. I've never heard that before. Is that like a thing the kids say? I don't think it's a kid's thing. But mid-aughts? I've literally never heard of Okay. Well, either well, that's way. okay. I'm learning things. That's good. I could be very wrong about this too. Like I was trying okay. to sound intellectual. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That clearly so the has not served me well. The mid-2000s okay. is what I should have said. Yes. So it starts to come back. Uh, and then it's, you know, it's maintained a certain level of popularity um, right. in cocktail culture and things like that in the country. Yeah. I do feel like, uh, yeah, maybe around, I don't know. When did I turn 21? No, you're how old I, now? I don't know. We're adapted. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm adapted. Years old. Maybe. Um, but I, I do remember like going to bars and seeing like absinthe cocktails Back when we were going to like fancy cocktail yes. bars, yes, a is fun. wonderful cocktail. Um, in the spirit of Halloween, mm -hmm. look it up. Corpse Reviver Number Two. Oh. Corpse Reviver Number Two. He said again. Uh, oh. Check it out. It's delicious. Uh, fantastic cocktail that calls for absinthe. Nice. So some fun facts. There's a lot yeah. of fun facts in the story is, of absinthe. Yeah, to be honest a with fun you, story. Um, but a few extra, a few extra bonus facts Ooh. for little Trev here. Um, <laughs> Spain was the only country in Europe that never banned absinthe, no. and they produced it for the entirety of the time. Yeah, they're like, eh, we're going to do what we want. Yeah. Uh, absinthe was actually, strangely enough, considering the stories about it, 
one of the few drinks considered ladylike mm-hmm. in, in history. Uh, and women freely enjoyed drinking it in the dance halls and coffee houses yeah. where it was most commonly enjoyed. Uh, absinthe drinking, I mentioned this a little bit, but it was exported to New Orleans from Europe, uh, specifically to the French Quarter, as you okay. can imagine. Makes sense. As early as the 1830s. There is record of it then, which is well before its real height and popularity. Uh, In fact, there's a legendary New Orleans bar called the Old Absinthe House Hmm. that's still in, um, still running today, still in operation today, and has been a tourist attraction for almost 150 years. I think the 1870s is when it opened under its first name. Yeah. And then legendary cocktail status, speaking of New Orleans and absinthe, the Sazerac cocktail, Ooh, yeah. which is not based in absinthe. It's not an right. absinthe based, it's a rye or yeah. a cognac based cocktail, Sammy, though. Um, was invented in New Orleans. Mm. And it actually calls for an absinthe rinse in the glass before you, so you rinse, literally pour absinthe in a glass and roll it around, dump it back out. Hmm. So and you get like the, the essence of you absinthe. Do, yeah. And then the finished cocktail gets poured back into the, the Sazerac glass. So only a few resources for this. Uh, of course, um, Oxford, the Oxford Dictionary. Thank you for the wonderful definition of absinthe at the front of the show. <laughs> uh, absinthe101.com. Got a lot from that website. Really thorough website if you want to learn about absinthe. Uh, what's cookingamerica.net. Great chronology there. Uh, and sciencehistory.org. Cool. So that's it. That's all Great. the resources I have. So that being said, everybody... Enjoy your week. It's going to be a weird Halloween. There's not going to be a lot of going out and socializing, I know, and it being on a Saturday night, that's going to be hard for a lot of people. I know. But stay safe. Stay safe. Be smart about it. Yeah. Get a big old bag of candy. Get a big old bottle of absinthe. (laughs) Maybe eat them and drink them at separate times because I don't think that that pairing is going to be great. Well, it depends what candy you like. Yes, yes, yes. As always, please rate, review. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast provider. It really helps us. We love hearing from you. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at where did this come from pod. So it's at where did this come from underscore pod. Uh, we give show updates there, some fun facts. Um, so give it a follow, share it with your friends. Yes. And until we meet again, everybody, stay healthy, be well, and we'll see you on the next episode of Where Did This Come From. Spooky.